Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with another episode of Games and Schools and Libraries, and I am super excited today to introduce Lucas Gillespie to the show. Now, Lucas has a huge, wide variety of experiences and different things he's done with gaming, but one of the things that I think is most interesting and relevant for us is that Lucas is an administrator who's done a lot of work in terms of developing games for use in the classroom, both on the teacher side as well as from the administration side, because one of the things that people ask me a lot about when it comes to developing games programs for their schools is, what do I say to get administrators on board? And so what better way than to have somebody who is, you know, in our tribe, who is a fan, who is a gamer, who is believes very strongly in the power of games and can help us get there. So, Lucas, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Kathleen. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, let um, introduce yourself. Tell everybody um, out there a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so I'm Lucas Gillespie. I am, my, my title I always tell people is a, this ridiculously long title. It doesn't even fit on my name badge. It just says director, but I am the director of academic and digital learning um, for a small rural school district in Northwestern North Carolina called Surrey County Schools. Um, and my primary role is uh, working with the district doing uh, planning for digital learning, uh, professional development with teachers and all things related to digital learning. Um, and that sort of thing, but but I'm also a, a big gamer and have been, and so I'm always looking for ways to connect games and learning in the classroom and working with teachers to do that. Uh, one of my big projects right now that I'm I'm working on that's gaining uh, some good traction is uh, a big online program to that is a professional development program for teachers that's gamified. Uh, so I'm doing gamified professional development with teachers right now, and uh, it's really uh, picking up steam. It's pretty awesome. Well, we will definitely want to get a little bit more into that. So, um, sure. so you've done some really cool stuff with uh, Minecraft and World of Warcraft in yeah. the classroom. And yes, they're not board games, but I think especially when it comes to um, getting games in the classroom, sometimes however we can get it in there is how we get it in there, and it can lead to all kinds of other experiences. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, so. Probably, oh wow, I guess it was um, 09, I, I think it was, 2009, um, I worked with a teacher uh, in the in a former school district, and we worked together um, with this idea, we just kind of had this, it was one of those shower thoughts thing, you know, you're sort of mm-hmm. like washing my hair, thinking like, oh my gosh, like a bolt from the blue, like, wouldn't it be great if I could take all these awesome things that I'm seeing happening in World of Warcraft with students. Because I was playing with, I was in the classroom at the time, and I was playing very informally, um, you know, with, with some of my students were in our guild, and we would do raids together. And I'm like, there's a lot of good things going on here with students. And these students don't necessarily uh, shine um, otherwise in school, but but they are fantastic leaders and and very critical think you know very good at critical thinking and, mm-hmm. and problem solving and organizing um, and, and they're doing all this in this virtual world. Why how come I can't formalize that? And so started putting together some ideas, fast forward a few years and I and I move into this role um, as a director in um, in the district that I was working with at the time. And, and one of my fellow teachers there was also uh, a World of Warcraft player. And he and his wife both were educators in the district. So I said, you know, why don't we, why don't we do something with this? Let's, let's see if we take this into, um, 
you know, in, into and kind of make it a little more formal. And so we pitched this idea. I pitched it to uh, my assistant superintendent, who was my boss uh, at the time, and said, you know, I've got this idea. I've got, I play this video game. You guys know I'm a gamer and I'm a real geek and all that. But I think that if I could take some of the roughest kids that you have, some of the kids who just need something to anchor them in school, who we think might drop out, give me those kids and I think we can do something awesome with it through this video game, using this video game as a vehicle um, and this fantasy-based online world. Um, and the response was, at the time, which was pretty awesome, was... I really don't have a clue what you're talking about, but it sounds like a good thing for kids. Let's see what happens. And so that's uh, that's how we got started. So we started as an after-school program uh, with students. Um, we told we, we worked with the principal at the school that we were working at and said, hey, give us kids who are struggling academically. They have attendance issues, um, kids who have behavior problems. Give mm-hmm. us those kids who, something that need something to anchor them in school. And, um, and we'll, we'll, we're going to bring them into this, this game world and, um, and see what happens. And the things that we saw happen in this after-school club um, were just amazing. The principal would come in and say, oh, my gosh, like the thing that, you, that I've seen going over with these kids, I don't see this normally. Like how did you get this to happen? And so we just invited her, like, hey, come in, sit down and watch, uh, observe what's going on, see how these kids are interacting. We invited teachers in, even parents. Some of the parents came in. Um, and watch what was going on. And, and so it was just this really great dynamic. We were, we were able to um, take the kids into these experiences, um, and then we would come out and we would talk about like what we had experienced. Okay, we went into the dungeon. Why did we fail? Uh, well, that's right, because you were screaming, not following directions, and just ran in, and you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, all these I great mean, things happen. Yeah, um, I was, I'm sorry, like, say again? <laughs> Well, you know, of course, I'm just thinking about like Leroy Jenkins, like the greatest. Oh, thing it was ever. totally. Oh, like we had a we had a a room of fifteen Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> In fact, that's one of my. It was just amazing, and and it was one of my favorite stories. You know, I, I actually had this one, had this one student who really had some behavioral issues um, going on, and. And he, he wanted to be a part of a group. We were mm-hmm. we finally got the group leveled up enough to go into the dead mines. We're like, all right, we're going to do our first dungeon, guys. This is going to be awesome. And and we're in there, and he comes in and just takes off barreling through the dungeon. You're like, dude, and, and just and then one thing leads to another. Everybody's dead. You're like, okay, right. And every all his class, all his all his you know fellow groupmates are mad at him. And so you with this discussion and. And, and they're like, dude, you, you can't do that. We have to be organized about this. And so, you know, I'm saying, okay, what didn't work? Why did this happen? What's our mm-hmm. strategy going in? So just kind of hitting that and just throwing ourselves against this time and time again. And we saw behavioral shifts. We saw kids changing for, yeah. for in good ways. And it was impacting um, how they were behaving in their regular classes and things like that because they wanted to be able to come around after school and, and be a part of this. And well, so and it think- was really cool. That kid's mom actually... Uh, contacted my boss. It was really interesting. One of my favorite stories because my boss was kind of trolling me a little bit. She said, I got a contact from one of your parents in the World of Warcraft program. And I was like, oh God, the gig's up. You know, (laughs) my cover's blown. Like somebody's going to find out I'm playing video games at work and getting paid for it. And, And the mom said, I'm really concerned because he's going to the high school next year and there's not a program like this there for him. And this is really like steered him in a good direction and has been really um, important in his life. And that, that was just like awesome, like great feedback like that, things that were, that was really exciting. So, well, and I think to, that's, to, 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 yeah, I was going to say just to wrap it back up, it's like that, that 
that this game, something that was very unusual, things that people wouldn't expect, became um, a surprising for for outsiders. Uh, became a very surprising vehicle that that brought about some positive change in those kids. Yeah, well, and, and I think too, because especially with uh, something like that, is it's very abstract. It's not them, you know. I mean, it's their avatar. It's the player that they're playing. I mean, yes, it's them. And so, in some ways, they have the benefit of seeing their actions from different perspectives. They can see it from like their own eyes as they're doing it. They can see how their friends are responding to it. They can also see how the character on screen isn't able to do the things that they thought they wanted to do. And so by having multiple perspectives of the same event happening simultaneously, you know, the it kind of can slingshot them into gaining some perspective into their actions. Whereas if it's something where it's just like a disagreement with something, you know, with someone else, they may only see it from like my perspective and, and, you know, it takes work sometimes to like, you know, get the other kid to explain what happened. And so that they can come together to, you know, a sort of central meeting point, And it's so tangible then, you know, goes from being some of this like abstract kind of representation to, you know, real world manifestations. I mean, it reminds me about some uh, research I was reading about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and prisons using Dungeons and Dragons to teach teamwork, to teach collaboration, to teach problem solving. Um and I think especially uh, you can do a lot with games. We did an episode a few back um, with J.S. Bragg, Brethany McMillan. They're at the University of um, Miami, Uni- Miami University in Ohio, and um, they do a leadership class all about using games, whether it's, you know, specifically to look at a you know certain leadership skill or if it's just to, like, you know, play a game and see what kind of natural leadership skills bubble up. And I think that's so cool that you were able to do that and the kids were able to really, you know, gain some insight, which sure. is really, really tough at that age, you know? It is. It's tough because, you know, middle school is such a – it's just a tough time for kids, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and any, any kids, any age, even adults – Game worlds, whether we're talking about analog games, digital games, or whatever, give us that that magic circle that we can step into and we can act through an avatar. We can act through a character. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think, is powerful for developing this, this idea of social-emotional learning um, and, and for developing empathy skills and things like that. Because we saw it. We saw this happen. It was not – that was not necessarily our – you know, direct intention going in, it was one of those like aha moments, you know, uh, it was mm-hmm. like, Oh, look at what's happening. One of those things that we kind of uncovered as, as that program was going on. Were you able to follow those kids at all? As far as like going through high school, um, you know, as far as impacts on them? Um, as far as I know, um, I wasn't able to keep tabs on cause I, I transitioned and moved across the state, um, uh, before, mm-hmm. uh, those kids would have graduated. But, um, uh, I, I know I kept tabs on a couple of them. And as far as I can tell my online interactions with them, they have been successful and have moved on and, and are, are being productive kids, you know, or productive yeah, adults now, I suppose. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, well, all right. Cool. That, that's super, super cool. I mean, because it's one thing to, like, you know, you know, to, to develop skills that are, you know, but to, like, you know, when you're putting kids in a position where you're using games to help save their life, you know, as mm. far as, like, their ability to be functional in society and solve problems and all that other stuff, like, that's super, super important. Um, and so um, you've also done some really cool stuff with Minecraft. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So so it's it's kind of like... 
uh, to make a bad analogy, if you start with the hard stuff, like the easy stuff like Minecraft, it's easy to get that stuff in. You're starting with the, the hard sell first. So Minecraft came along actually a little after we had done this program. And so it was once I had built success and, and kind of shown some of the successes and, and kept telling the story, which mm-hmm. is something I would encourage people to do. You've got to tell your story um, and share the successes of your of your kids. Um, once I began doing that, like getting Minecraft into our classrooms was, was a piece of cake. Um, and, and I'd started doing that very early on when, um, Minecraft had, had just about like a year or so after like the alpha had come out, mm-hmm. um, my timelines. Right. And, and so we, um, we set up, um, a server in the district and, um, and this was before EDU version and, and of course, Education Edition came out um, and, and began um, build, bringing kids into that space to do things. It was pretty awesome. So uh, we set up a server, uh, had two classes of fourth graders at two different schools uh, come in simultaneously and work on building projects together. Um, and, and again, it was just one of those aha moments for the teachers involved to see like, wow, look at the excitement, look at the engagement and look at these kids who we had sold short maybe because they, we, you know, we thought, well, what can a fourth grader do? Well, turn them, unleash them in a space where they're excited and something that they, they're passionate about and watch, step back and watch what they do. Right. Um, and so again, just something that we built upon uh, going forward, um, had a couple of clubs at different schools, um, all working together. Um, on a district server, and that was pretty interesting. And and worked, I worked really hard on empowering those kids to own and drive that server, um, become the the management and the organization. They, they they've kind of brought the the leadership to it, and kind of had a structure to bring that about. Um, and and it was it was great. Uh, kids were connecting with each other. They were self policing um, in most instances, and and. Really, a lot of the things that sometimes you you associate or you know I've heard negative stories about Minecraft and Minecraft servers weren't weren't major issues uh, with this server. It was not a hard thing to do. And so, uh, again, more great stories that that I was able to share out and, and build acceptance um, for the use of Minecraft, and then brought that forward with me into the district that I'm working now. So we we have a lot of Minecraft related things going on in this district too. Yeah, and I think that's one thing, too, especially when you're talking about, you know, games like World of Warcraft um, or Skyrim or whatever it is that the, the children are playing now, you know, and especially with and, and Minecraft, too. You know, it's like these are things that a lot of teachers don't do. Their kids might do, but a lot of teachers don't really play these games. And so I think sometimes, one, you're oblivious to what kids are getting out of them, and it just tends to be like, oh, they're in mm-hmm. front of their devices, they're in front of their screens. But, you know, they have amazing worlds that they're building and creating and engaging in and relationships that they're making that, you know, a lot of times that we're quick to dismiss because sometimes we think about the video games that we had as kids, and while awesome, uh, Pitfall, right. my gosh, Burger Time, yeah. my God. <laughs> best ever um this is entirely different and it's funny because i had sure. two boys in sixth grade we were doing a, a, a unit on the hero's journey and so they could do mm-hmm. all kinds of different projects to kind of show the hero's journey and they built um, a whole world in minecraft and played through in class um you know showing like basically the challenges and then the big monster at the end like they 
like mechanically built into the game all the different things like the threshold and all these different things that we had talked about with this hero's journey and the best part was is we couldn't actually they couldn't actually play it live so they recorded themselves like screencasting themselves so it's like even it was like the full experience because it's even them like yelling wow. at each other when one person screwed up and whatever it's like wow like we are getting the real full experience it was so fun but it was so great and they spent so much time on it building this and all the learning was happening they're talking about the hero's journey they're talking about all the different stages how are we going to put this together and then but also you've got that level of gamesmanship in there too and game design like how can we make this a fun game i mean you could just proceed through it but you know when you like one of the challenges you had to like knock away all the blocks to get to the key or whatever it was you know what i mean like they built in everything so when if, if there was any question about do they understand the hero's journey they they physically built it, you know, even if it's digitally, they built it and you could see it happening. And I think sometimes, you know, we're all busy. There's only so much time and so much bandwidth, but you know, and I'm just as guilty of not being as engaged as what, in, what kids are doing. Cause I mean, honestly, it's like with what kind of device and, you know, you say like, Oh, the blah, blah, blah. They're like, um, that was like two, three things ago. I'm like, I'm sorry. Okay. Like I get it. I don't do it. But when there is this big disconnect between what the kids are doing and what adults are doing, like when kids have to disconnect from the world they live in in order to go into school, that can be a good thing, but that can also be something to show where we are very, very far behind where they are. And that's not necessarily good on our end. So, Lucas, you are yeah. now an administrator. Um, and one of the questions that people ask me about all the time is, um, I want to do a game design class. I want to have a game club. I want to do something with games. Um, you know, usually tabletop, but it could be anything. And what do I say to get my administrators on board? You know, anything from, like, what kind of research is out there to just, like, how do they approach this? How, how, how can you be successful? And what do they need to know in order to get administrators on board? My, my best advice, I've got a couple of points of advice. I would say that one of the things you want to make sure that you do is, is um, kind of tiptoe. Um, very carefully into that space. Um, try to try to empathize a lot with what administrators are having to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, it's a lot of times as as a teacher in the classroom, I was unaware of the kinds of things that my administrators were dealing with on a daily basis. I dealt with what happened in in room two hundred six, but whatever mm-hmm. happened in in that they dealt with on a daily basis uh, was somewhat foreign to me other than the times when those two worlds collided. Um, and so uh, just understand they're busy people. And so a lot of times we as educators um, have to learn to market um, what it is that we, we're trying to do. Um, and that's something that I don't think, in my experience, the teachers that I work with um, on, on a daily basis, um, they don't market themselves well. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that's, that's not a negative thing. It's just that they're going back to that idea of telling your story. What is your story? What is happening? What are the successes that are going on in your classroom with your students, et cetera? What, you know, when you have those wins, those awesome wins that happen on a daily basis, weekly or yearly basis, like we need to share those things. That's why I'm always pushing teachers into, into Twitter, into other social media, like get out there, connect with the people and share that. And so that same thing needs to happen when you're interacting with your administrator. You, mm-hmm. When you do things, when you get those little glimmers of, of inspiration, for example, 
kids are hanging out in your class during lunch and they were talking about games and and you realize there was some really deep intellectual conversation going on tell that story to your administrator talk to them about that and begin building the case for this kind of thing and then the other thing um, along those lines I would say is once you kind of get to that that point is encourage them um, that that you're willing um, to, to take some risk and try some things but you would like to do, and here's a key word, this is magic, I want to do a pilot. Pilot, a pilot, that's a safe word. Um, or <laughs> an after-school club. And we're just going to see what happens. And if you really, if you're willing and, and you're really desperate, um, use the phrase action research. Um, mm. I want to do some action research. Now, you're really going to need to collect some data, and I think you should anyway. That's part of telling your story. But by doing that, it shows that what you're doing is purpose- purposeful um, and that you've thought about it and that you have kids' best interests in mind. And, um, and But if it fails, if, if a club fails, uh, doesn't work out, or if a pilot fails, that's okay. It was a pilot. It was a club. It, it, it wasn't... Um, we, you know, it wasn't a space that, that that's real critical. You know, it wasn't like one of your core subject areas. Mm-hmm. Um, trying those things in core subject areas is a little riskier, um, at least in North Carolina, where high stakes testing is a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. that that's like, oh, you know, what, what happens if their test scores bomb? You know, that sort of thing. Well, don't right. worry about it. Do it after school. Do it as a club. That kind of thing. The other thing I would suggest is have an open door transparent policy always and and in fact invite them ad nauseum to come in into your space and see what's going on i have found that the biggest thing set to sell minecraft uh, and world of warcraft it for prior to that and then now board gaming and tabletop gaming and all that stuff with with my um administrators and or my colleagues and my teachers, I feel sometimes I'm having to sell to teachers, is getting them to come into the space where it's going on and just say, just come in and watch. And I think as educators, we are drawn like like it's a gravitational force. We're drawn to engagement, regardless of what kids are engaged in. If they are engaged and there's a buzz of energy and, and mm-hmm. excitement amongst kids, we, we we want that. And sometimes it's like, well, I want that in my space. Why aren't they why aren't they getting that excited about mitochondria? Uh, <laughs> in the biology class, you know. Why aren't they? It's the that powerhouse excited? of the cell. I and mean see, everybody does that. Yes, you had yeah, I, that's the way I taught it. That's the way everybody ta- teaches it, I think. But yeah, it's that it's that it's that it's that excitement and that buzz that that we we love it because as educators, if you're passionate about what you do and you really care about kids and, and building yeah. relationships with kids when you see that going on you're like I, I want that how do I do that and that's what has sold more teachers into using Minecraft than any workshop I've ever done on it um, mm-hmm. or anything like that well it's funny we have these uh, class meeting groups basically it's like advisory you know and there was one lesson where we were supposed to talk about the five P's of good citizenship like prompt prepared all that and honestly, I couldn't have told you before we did this what the five P's were. Um, and so we had this lesson, you know, have the kids talk about it, write on index cards, whatever it was. And I was like, okay, no. And this is like ten minutes before we had to like do the thing. And I was and I was like, what is the opposite of this? 
that we could, that this would be funny. And I just came up with the idea of wrestling and especially like, <laughs> like luchadors. And I found on a website, yes. five coloring pages of like five different luchadors. And each one was perfect for like the different P like there was one that had like basically a big cross on its mask. Hello, Mr. Positive. Right. And so I printed those off. And so when the kids came in, I said, okay, five Ps. I said, but you have to come up with wrestling moves. And, um, and so like, but they have to be about what your P is, you know? And it was so funny because kids are sitting there like, okay, what does prompt look like? And how can we make this into a wrestling move? And, you know, so they were doing all this and they'd like color their little wrestler. And then they would bring the wrestler up and they would wrestle another kid. And all I did was they had a stool and I put a bell in the middle of the room, in the middle of the stool. And they just got to ring the bell because, you know, in wrestling there was a bell and they would say their move and then they had like their big final move and it was so funny because like mr polite was like i'm very excited to you know fight you today and mr prepared was like i brought my chair with me to the match you know and it was so funny because like (laughs) this wasn't necessarily what they expected to happen but on the other hand like they were talking about what those five p's were and i now know what the five p's are because we had them do this you know and i think to me that so illustrates and, and then the kids voted on which side they thought was most you know persuasive and stuff like that and my favorite thing was one of our counselors came in and saw the end of this and so it was like the the top two teams were going head to head and so I was like and I said okay great you're here you can pick who won and like for the counselor to choose one group of students over the other like literally her eyes got like dinner plate she's like don't make me do this and then the (laughs) bell rang so it was like perfect timing to like get her off the get her off the hook but that's the thing though it's like you know, when we can use, you know, like those kids talked so much about what those five P's were. You know, I talked so much more about what those five P's mm-hmm. were because we found a way to make it fun and engaging and still relevant. And they were doing the job, but the oh, yeah. games got it done. And I know I'm like preaching to the crowd here, but it's those moments when you can do it as an educator that you see that output from kids, you see how they're engaged, you see that they're learning, but it's not a struggle. It's not like, you know, them taking their notes or answering the questions, you know, it becomes part of this like authentic real world kind of, you know, simulation, this sort of experience. And so that'll segue right into professional development and how you're gamifying professional development, because that's another big passion of yours. Yeah, well, and it is. So, and you probably encounter this all the time, and it ties in to what we're talking about. Is it, it's like game is a four-letter word, um, <laughs> which mm. it is. Uh, but you know that that we have this idea that that play, and I'm sure you've talked about this before in your show that that play is negative. Like mm-hmm. there, there's play and there's work, and it's right that 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 division is so entrenched in our thinking, I guess, especially in Western culture that it's, it's sad because play is a, is such a powerful avenue for learning. And, and it goes back to that, that idea of role play and the magic circle. Like if I, if I give you this imaginary context and I say, I want you to do these things and it frees us um, from having to um, stress about well, who we are, like as a student, like well, I, I don't fit in, but here I am, the warrior with the sword, or you know that kind of thing. I, I get to play that role out, and I think that's true um, in any of the types of games and stuff that we're talking about. Is that we we give um, we, we've got to break down this barrier that the games are a negative thing, and so 
that that's been one of the things that I've been working on through professional development with my teachers um, is is really kind of leveraging game mechanics um, in uh, in a professional development scenario because we we do teachers a tragedy so often and there's I've got this great slide and you may have seen this before um, in in one of the presentations that I do on this which so shows this uh, this older guy and he's sitting in the obviously in the back row of a of a teacher workshop or whatever and he is just nodded off he is out mm-hmm. and and it's one of those like motivational posters and it says Lord if I die please let it be during an in service so the transition between life and death will be subtle <laughs> because it's true <laughs> you know because like the worst thing that we do is is bring teachers in at the end of the day right. of teaching uh, and say okay it's time to get engaged in learning i'm going to teach you something new like i i'm i'm a zombie at the right. end of a day of teaching and so well and especially of- if a lot of professional development is somebody standing there talking at you like oh, this yeah. is not the most effective way for you to learn. It's you know, we do it to kids, not. and then it's when so we do bad. it to each other, and plus the other thing too, it's like, man, like if whenever I do professional development for teachers, like the pressure is on. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of like, all right, you show me how you, you know you're better yeah. than me at this, and it's not like that, but it kind of is sometimes. You know, yeah, or when is. it's bad professional development, you know, it's so t- teachers are a tough audience. Like they'll do it, they'll go along oh, with it, you know. But you know, it's like, but you know that they know what you know that they know. If you know what I mean. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's totally like that. And so, I, so one of the things that that I've kind of uh, been driving at with this gamified professional development is one, um, make sure that it's something that teachers can do at their own time, whenever they want to, um, and that it comes in bite-sized chunks. So all, imagine everything you would do in a workshop, say on on Twitter. Like, okay, I'm going to do a workshop on Twitter, and I'm going to teach teachers what Twitter is, how it got started. I'm going to get you in. We're going to set your account up. We're going to make sure you have a fleshed out profile. Then we're going to get you out following other educators and then teach you how to send tweets and what hashtags are and all this jargon and Mm -hmm. stuff around Twitter. And then we're going to top this thing off by participating in a live Twitter chat and and doing the whole Q&A thing. Well, Mm -hmm. that would take like a, that'd be a really long workshop. So the idea is this is to take that and chunk it out into lots of little bite-sized chunks and they're quests. Mm-hmm. So essentially it's like, okay, what's this idea of a quest and how can we adapt the idea of a quest um, into learning that'll lead us uh, from point A to point B um, to reach a goal. And so that's what that's the way the system works is that teachers come in and they say, oh, they get a quest and it says, well, what is Twitter? Okay, I'd like to know more about Twitter because that's another key point. They have the agency. They can choose mm-hmm. to participate in a quest or not. And that's key too because I think so much of our PD is, is forced on us. Yeah. As educators, we don't have any choice. You've got to go to this in-service on this or this workshop on that. And, and so the idea is to give teachers the full right. Here's a buffet. And and if you want to if you want to come to the buffet and try a little bit of everything on the buffet, that's great. If you just want to focus on the prime rib, then you can just gorge yourself on prime rib and go all the way with that and get a badge in prime rib. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the idea behind this too is that they have lots of choices. They can pursue these quests as far as they they choose to. But if they pursue it all the way, it, it gets increasingly and in, you get increasingly invested in the idea mm-hmm. um, and and more invested in it. There's a lot you can fail a quest and that is perfectly okay. 
Um, if you mess up, not a big deal. You'll get some feedback, you and you'll get the opportunity to resubmit your artifacts, your evidences, or reflections, or whatever. And then ultimately, um, at the end, once you've d demonstrated that um, you can do all the things that the quest requires, you um, earn your badge and you get experience points. You begin leveling up. Your bar fills up in this system. Um, there are ranks and perks, and um, there are hidden quests. I've got Easter egg quests in there that are hidden that that are only a few people have discovered at this point. Um, and there's all this competitiveness amongst my teachers and my schools now. My principals are getting involved and trying to rally their troops because that one school has more badges than another. And and it's I've created a little bit of a monster in this district, uh, but it's a fun monster, and, right. and it's actually impacting kids, which is awesome. So, how do you think you got? What do you think was the magic sauce for when it came to like buy-in, as far as getting them to really? take to this not just try it once and kind of wander away but what to actually engage mm -hmm. themselves that is a great question it's something that i have been wrestling with uh for the last three years of doing this um so i started out as guess what a pilot <laughs> right that's how i pitched it to 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 my assistant superintendent said hey you know i'd like to do uh I'd like to do a pilot uh, and this idea of, I've got these ideas about how we can do some uh, digital learning professional development that's like a game. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we started we started the program out with a small group of about I think we had about 35 to 40 teachers in our first cohort and um, and I told them up front I said I have no idea what's going to happen with this. We're going to see you guys are my guinea pigs. Thank you for being willing. Um, and, and I am completely transparent and open to feedback. Feedback is a gift. And that's another thing that you, you have to kind of grow some thick skin whenever you're pitching new ideas right. to your administrators or whatever. It's like, take their feedback, listen to what they have to say and find ways to use it to your advantage. Um, and so we did that. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that really was a couple of watershed moments that really broke it open though. Um, my teacher's I think if, if, if I were to ask them that first group of teachers and we were talking about digital badging and, and if I were to ask them, I think they would have just been like, so what? I, like, I don't really care about digital badges. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were enjoying the experiences, but the digital badges were sort of like a big deal. But when I added physical badges to, that went along with it, mm -hmm. um, so once you earn your first badge, you would get this big two by three banner that you could hang up in your classroom that said Epic Educator, and it had all these spaces for badges, and you get to, you got a vinyl decal that matched the digital badge, and you began to build your collection of badges and hang it outside your door. Um, and then other people were asking you, well, hey, how did you get that? The word of mouth marketing kicked in, and mm -hmm. um, that, that has been really huge. So have you had anyone cheat or try to, like, game the system that you have? Um... I'm just curious. I, I this is like the naughty gamer me yeah. trying to like bust a system. No, you know? that that's that is great. So, what what's interesting to some extent, yes, but I kind of encourage that behavior. So one of the things that I I, I am constantly trying to plug ways, uh, creative ways to navigate through this system, and um, it, there's really not like 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 really bad kind of cheating, sort of malicious cheating, no, that hasn't happened. And, and, and I'm not sure that, that it could right. because everything is artifact driven. 
Mm-hmm. So at the end, to, to finally progress through the system, you have to share um, pictures, screenshots, student samples uh, of, of the, the things that you've been learning in action. And you have to post them in a, a public forum with all your fellow players. So it's very public and open, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting, too. So. Uh, no one's really done that. I have some very competitive people who are looking for every way possible to try to stay at the top of like a leaderboard, which is one aspect of it. Those who like the leaderboard aspect of that and sort yeah. of like min-maxing and doing everything, like <laughs> they really try, like as soon as a new quest comes out, like I'll put a new badge and then the quest out and kind of release new material, like they jump on it and they, they want to see who's first. That's partly because I think um, I also market it a lot internally. Like I, I will, I'll tweet them out and tag their school and their principal in it and all that. Like congratulations to so-and-so first person to unlock the such and such badge and you know, that kind of thing. And, and that, um, I, I can't give them monetary rewards or things like that, but I can give them a lot of recognition and mm-hmm. praise and kudos. And, and that goes a long way. Does it tie into evaluation at all for them? Yeah. Um, so in North Carolina, that's actually, that's another thing that's, that's going to help to sustain this. And that was sort of external. Um, so the use of digital learning and, and using that to enhance their instruction and things like that is, is a big deal um, as part of their teacher evaluation here in North Carolina. But what's interesting is that um, the state um, board of education has also enacted um, a policy that requires all educators in the state to get two CEUs of digital learning credits um, per renewal cycle. So that's every five years. So that's 20 hours of, of digital learning um, CEUs per five years of renewal cycle. And, and that, that's going to drive demand for it as well. It already has to some extent for those who are uh, at the point of where they're ready to renew their license. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about like different types of quests that you offer. Um, just to get, so you said something about like Twitter, like learning how to use yeah. Twitter. Like what mm-hmm. are some other ones that especially um, like our listeners might be especially kind of interested in as far as like how it works and you know, yeah. what, what you're expected to do? Okay, so uh, perfect example. I, I have a, a quest series on game-based learning because mm-hmm. it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and it's one of my avenue. This is one of my avenues to get it in because I know people who wouldn't normally come to a workshop on that want that badge, and so they'll they'll go through the content that's there. And so in that um, series of quests, um, I introduced them to just the, a broad overview of what game-based learning is, um, why games are a great vehicle for learning. Um, how they're important and what they can teach us um, and how we can use them in the classroom. And so just sort of high-level overview. Most of my quests series start like that. They start with sort of this, this, like, what is this thing? And I'm perfectly fine with my teacher stopping there. I just wanted to know what Twitter is. I just wanted to know what game-based learning is. I don't want to go any deeper with that. That's okay. And making sure they know that's okay is important. Um, but then as they progress through that, um, they'll go through, um, there's a quest where they go through and take Bartle's, um, what gamer type are you? Um, Uh quiz, one of those self-assessment quizzes. And everybody loves those kinds of things. And then I just ask them to go through that, share their scores, um, and then reflect on whether they think it's an accurate representation of of who they are um, personally and individually. 
And then beyond that, I have them look at um, the next quest in that series, has them look at games through the lenses of education. Um, And I encourage them not to choose educational games because so many of those games are are what we like to call chocolate covered broccoli. Um, It's, it's, yeah, it's just like that, you know, you're trying to dress something up that's really boring and and call it a game and and trying to fool me and and students and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, I encourage them to go out and find um, commercial off-the-shelf game, video games, board games, card games, whatever it is. Find a game. Um, it could be anything. I'm real flexible in what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And look at it through the lens of instruction. So think about it from an instructional design standpoint. What is it that the game designers have to teach you to do? How do they do it? Is there a tutorial? Is there an instruction manual? Is it well-designed? Um, how do they guide you through that process? And then how does the game teach you the content that's part of the game? And just having them reflect on that. Then they they follow up on that with a quest where they have to go out and choose a game and start to build it, uh, connect it to their curriculum. Uh, find a place where it connects to their curriculum, begin building a lesson on it, share just a brief overview of that lesson. I don't want lots of details or anything like that. Just brief overview of the lesson, how it connects. And then their final culminating quest is to go and use that a game, uh, whatever game that is they've chosen, with their students in, the, in a learning setting and, and reflect on the engagement, reflect on how uh, it impacted student learning and things like that. Share pictures of, of the kids playing the game, uh, of their any work samples, things like that. And that's how they earn their badge uh, for game-based learning. That's really, really cool. And I know, like, especially that's a really big area of interest of mine, you know, especially doing game design and teaching, how to help teachers design better games for the classroom. Because... You know, I the our seventh our seventh grade science teachers they wanted a game for photosynthesis, and I didn't have time to really work something for them. But I found one online, and it wasn't great, but it was still a game, and the kids played it, and they loved it, and they knew it wasn't great, but you know, it still was different, and it was still like them, you know, still engaged with the world. So I think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Especially when games, you know, like you said, chocolate-covered broccoli. There's some really great examples of ones that aren't. If people aren't familiar with John Covey's uh, Genius Games and all of his games, he works really hard to make accurate games that um, are are actually fun to play as well. Uh, But also, um, you know, but sometimes even if it is a little bit of chocolate-covered broccoli, that's, you know, that's okay. But it is, but but I think you're right, though. There's so, there's a lot of really great games out there that you can retheme or you can apply to different scenarios. And so that's a really big interest of mine, too, is, like, figuring out ways to help teachers do that more easily. So I think that's such an important part of what you're doing. You know, it's just going deep into, you know, like, just the heart of pedagogy. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we get students to learn this? And is there any way that we can make this more fun for them? Right, right. Yeah, I I totally learned that lesson um, er, early on, actually, my undergraduate, when when I was... um, in, in a Western civilization class at the university. And, and I, at the time, was playing, I think it was Civilization Two at the time, mm-hmm. by Sid Meier. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I know the answers to all these questions he, that he's asking, not because of some lecture that he's given, but because I play this game. And, and I've, I've been engaged in the content and, and picked up the vocabulary as a part of that and, mm-hmm. and understand it within context, which is so important. That's another thing about games that, that, that's so, that are so 
that make them so powerful as teachers, I think, because games provide you instant context. The game itself is the context through which we're going to learn. Um, sometimes I think we present topics. Um, I, I know I was guilty of it as a biology teacher in high school. Like those topics come to students in isolation. So that, that age old question, when am I ever going to use this? Probably never. It's in all honesty, probably never. But if I'm playing a game, and somebody says, well, when am I ever going to use this? Well, in about two turns, that's going to be real important to you. You know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Games give us the context for understanding things. Um, and I think that's another thing that makes them really powerful in, in learning context. Yeah. This is this is so, so cool. I mean, I'm, I'm really jealous for your teachers that they get to take part in this because, and I feel like, this is something that's so needed nowadays. I mean, are you looking at figuring out how you can like branch this out, share this out with other schools with, you know, in, in North Carolina or across the country? Yeah. So, um, I, I do, um, present at conferences, um, and, and things like that. I love to go, I love to do workshops with teachers and, and, and any, anytime I, I'm able to, to pour, the, my passion for this stuff, uh, mm-hmm. into teachers and, and, and help them, um, it's it's a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, I recently did a, um, a presentation, in fact, in a, a neighboring, well, not neighboring, another district in North Carolina um, about sort of making the analogy of teacher as the game master. And, mm-hmm. and if you were the if you were the GM of your class and, and you sort of took this Dungeons and Dragons analogy, like what what kind of class could you create for your students and what would it look like? And there's a great guy uh, that I met at Games and Education Symposium in New York, Paul Darvasi, who, um, and, and I'll share that information with you, and you can share it out with your listeners, um, yeah. his, his Twitter information. But Paul did a really good job of this, uh, and he tells this amazing story of how he took um, a bunch of guys that really had senioritis, high schools who were in their spring semester, senioritis was just fully set in. They were afflicted. <laughs> right. And we've all been there. And, and, um, and but we're going to take those guys through the novel of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and and so to do that basically transformed his entire course into a game, and he played the nurse and all that. So it was just it's just fascinating how the game just created this context where the kids were so passionate about it um, when they're at their spring semester right before graduating and and just ready to go. It just completely turned the class around. Um, so yeah, that's uh, presenting at conferences is uh, is one way uh, that I do that. Um, I do have a blog. I don't blog enough. Uh, it's one of those things I, I think sort of. I, but I basically, I'm a, a hoarder of content. So anytime I create things, presentations or or uh, resources or the occasional uh, blog topic, I've been blogging a lot about virtual reality lately mm-hmm. um, because that's one of the things that we're trying. To, I'm trying to bring into our schools. Um, I'll put it there on that website. So I'll share that, that link with you guys as well. Yeah, no, that's great. We'll put that up there because I think, yeah. like I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of demand, um, you know, to push education to where it needs to be. And mm-hmm. I think games and our, our, you know, our kids' lives are only going to become more and more gamified, you know? Oh, sure. It, and I mean, if, if, like, if nothing else outside of the school day, but the more we can authentically replicate the things that they love, that they get engaged in, that make sense to them, that are coherent to them, then we can get, you know, the content's the easy part, you know? Oh, really, yeah. You know, 
it's it's how we do it in a way that gets them to really bite. And so if you can get them engaged, you can get them to do, you know, to learn like all kinds of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's great. And I definitely will be interested in sharing it. Um, so I guess one final question, if you had, you know, like your magic sort of wand and as far as like, you know, something that you wish you could see happen or help happen, you know, for yourself, for your teachers, for your students, what would it be? Um, I would love to see a world, um, and this is just fresh on my mind recently just because of the time of year in the school system. I would love to see a world um, devoid of high stakes standardized testing. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, I would, that is such a driver um, in, our, in our schools in, in North Carolina, but I don't think it's just here in North Carolina. I think it's in, in most states. Um, and there seems to be a tendency politically or whatever that just to move increasingly in that direction um and and to emphasize those and and i would love i I love to see teachers that do what they love they're passionate about what they love and they're passionate about kids and building relationships with them but devoid of that weight or that that cloud looming over them that the pressure that it brings to bear on their professional career and, and, and their classrooms um, and, and to where they are really freed up um, to, to teach with passion and excitement. I'm not saying that's not to say that, that accountability is not important. And, and of course it is. And, and there's ways to do it. It's just the way that we do it now. That, that, so that would be my, my wish with that, that just, you know, wave that wand and those things would disappear. And, and guess what? Great teaching would still happen. Um, kids would still learn and, and awesome things would, would happen in classrooms as, a, as it already is. But I think it would just make things a much freer, a more, um, it would just be a greater experience all around, I think. Right, right. And that's, you know, one of the great sort of, you know, no child left behind is an unwinnable rhetorical argument. You know, it's mm-hmm. absolutely impossible that we, you know, can't leave a ch- child behind that we won't. So that means we're doomed from the start. You know, right. it's an unwinnable proposition and i think it's so demoralizing for a lot of teachers um who have to walk into their day every day feeling like you know like if we're looking at what failure is and like maybe looking up as opposed to you know from a different sort of perspective and i think it's had a really negative impact um you know on so many in education you know and our kids you i think you're right about the amount of testing that our kids have um, the impact of teachers, the lack of autonomy for teachers, lack of agency, you know, more mm-hmm. scripted curriculum. And um, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think the good news is, is that, you know, there's definitely, you know, if, if there's not, if nothing else, recognition that this is not necessarily the way we want it to be, um, mm-hmm. but we're not sure what to replace it with yet. And I think, uh, without hyperbole, and I really mean this, like the work that, you know, we're trying to do with games and education can generate such high level thinking and output from kids um, that can have all the learning that we want them to have. And we just have to be better about how we develop it, how we put it out there, how we work together to help other teachers do that. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for everything that you're doing and how you're doing it. It's really inspiring and it's super exciting for me. Um, I don't know that I want to move to North Carolina, but my God, think about how much fun <laughs> we could have if we worked together, you know? Oh my gosh. Tell me about it. Well, you know, that's the beauty of, of uh, the internet is that we can, we can do work together anyway. And that's the, that's the other thing, you know, I just encourage teachers, listener, your listeners is um, you are not in isolation. If you, 
if you're doing this kind of work, you're not alone. Um, just like we were talking earlier about about connecting up our, our tribes, mm-hmm. um, we're all part of a tribe. You need to find that tribe, whether it's whether it's games and learning or or whether it's some other area that you are personally passionate about as an educator. Find other educators out there that are passionate about the same things that you're passionate about. Network with them, share with them, grow and build, grow with them and build off of each other and, and your enthusiasm. And, and that'll help overcome all this, you know, the the stuff like the the systematic stuff like you know standardized testing and all that. Because we can still go in every day, um, loving kids, building relationships with kids, and being passionate about what we do, and knowing that we're not alone. That's so great. Well, I think that's the best possible place um, to leave it. Um, so, Lucas, if people want to get in touch with you to find out more, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, pretty much anywhere. If you Google me, um, I'm pretty easy to find uh, on the interwebs. Uh, but uh, Twitter is probably the best way um, to get up with me, and, and that's just uh, at Lucas Gillespie. Uh, and you can find me there. I do have that uh, website, and that is edurealms.com, E-D-U-R-E-A-L-M-S.com. And that's just where I put all my stuff uh, and my occasional blog posts, which don't judge me. I don't blog as often as I should. Uh, but, yeah, that that's great. Uh, but just any, any through any social media um, or, or email or whatever is fine. Um, but do connect with me. Uh, if there's something I can help you, as an, if you're listening and you're an educator or, or some way I can help you, then um, don't hesitate to contact me because that is my passion. That's what I get up for in the mornings. Yeah, is, that's is to and that's educators. Yeah, and that's like such a. I mean, you have such a great, cool job too, as far as I making do. that happen. Well, that's awesome. I do. That's so cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been really, really great. And I think Thank there's you. a lot of people who will draw a lot of um, inspiration, good ideas, and you know, hopefully, a lot of traffic your way in terms of. Um, finding ways for you to spread your ideas more and to get um, more schools and administrators on on board with what we're trying to do here. So thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Well, this has been an amazing episode of Games and Schools and Libraries. Like, I'm pretty sure we killed it. This is (laughs) Kathleen Mercury. You can find me um, on uh, Twitter at at Mercury with 7M. So it's at Mercury. I also provide all my game design teaching resources for free at KathleenMercury.com. So if you're interested in teaching game design, if you want to run a game club, there's all kinds of great information there. Um, And I'm always happy to talk with other people. So if you're listening and you do really cool work with games and schools and libraries and you want to possibly be a guest on the show, please reach out. We'd love to have you. Um, And with that, thank you so much, Lucas, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Good night. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to Games and Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.